I told you earlier that I wanted you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6, and we're starting the sermon series on, on prayer, and we've entitled it Spring into Prayer. Springtime is a, is a time of year to renew things, and I thought, what a better time to renew our prayer life than at the beginning of spring? And I know it's not quite spring yet, but as we move closer, I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell it by the weather outside right now. It is just absolutely beautiful. And I was out doing some yard work yesterday, and I looked around, and I saw how everything was so green already, and, just so, and, and things were thriving, and flowers were starting to bloom, and it was just so beautiful to see, refreshing after the winter, and seeing everything, uh, all the leaves falling off and things being bare, and it was such a beautiful day. And I thought, what better time of the year than to renew our prayer life, than leading into spring? We'll start now, and we'll, we'll end this sermon series around right before Easter gets here, and from the book of Matthew, and I had spoken to you and told you we were going to entitle it this, and what I thought, and my initial thought several weeks ago when I introduced this sermon series, was to preach through the disciples' prayer here in, in Matthew chapter 6, because I, th- I think there's a lot of things that we don't realize, we don't put the pieces of the puzzles together, and I don't always do that either when, I, when it comes to my prayer life and being conscious about my prayer life and exactly who I'm praying to and why I'm praying and how prayer, powerful my prayer can be. So from the book of Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse I'll begin in reading this week in verse 1. From this point forward, I'll, I'll, not, uh, I'll not talk from verse 1, but I'll just focus on verses 10 and on. So this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, I'm sure you've all found it, so I'm going to ask you in the honor of the Lord's reading this morning, would you please stand to your feet so we can read together? And this is what we read in verse 1, Matthew 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen and heard by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into the inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they support, uh, they suppose that they will be heard for the many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray, Father, that you will begin to show us exactly who we're praying to, Father, why we're praying. Allow us to put these pieces of the puzzle together so that when we kneel before you, when we go before you in prayer, Father, may we approach you humbly. May we reproach you, may we approach you respectfully, Father. May we appeal to your interests first, Father, before we appeal to ours. Father, I pray that this 
will change the way we look at our prayer life and will allow us to become more faithful in our prayer. I pray that through this series sermon, Father, that we will understand you more by being able to pray to you more specifically. Father, I pray that you'll teach us what we've either forgotten about prayer or maybe we didn't know at all. So, Father, I pray once again that you teach us, and as you teach us and as you preach to us, we're going to praise you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Apparently, I had some text in my, uh, in my writings here. I had it down twice, so I apologize for going back up, but I figured if I jumped back, I would lose everybody, so I just went with it. But that was, that was my mistake. I've got it written down twice for some reason, I guess my, when I clicked on my computer, but anyway. What I want to look at this morning in this prayer, God told us to pray in this way. He told us to pray in this way. It is to be used as a guideline for praying. Now, God had just, had, Jesus had just spoken to them and told them, don't use vain repetition. Don't go over and over again. Don't, don't just be babbling on. So then, then Jesus comes up, and some people can get kind of confused, and he says, then he, then he tells us to pray like this. Well, he doesn't tell us to pray these words exactly. What he's telling us is to use this as a pattern for your prayer. In other words, don't forget these things when you kneel before God and you pray to God. Don't, don't forget that these things need to be addressed. Don't forget that, that your needs need to be addressed. But before those needs need to be addressed, uh, we need to recognize who God is first and that we need to approach him respectfully and reverently. So he was telling us to use it as a pattern uh, and, and to use it as a guideline because he told us not to, to, to pray in vain repetition. I also want you to notice, I'm just pointing out these, these first three things so that we can get on with the meat of our, of our message this morning. Notice that the prayer begins with God's interests. As I mentioned, and the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is it... it, it, is it we're making our appeal to God. It's about Him and for, for Him for, first and foremost, as it always is about Him first and foremost. I also want to point out to you that there are no singular pronouns in this. I hope I said that right because I didn't do very well in English. But there's no singular pronouns in this prayer. Everything is our, and that's very important. As I'll get into in just a moment. But I wanted to point that out as well. It's very important. That it's our Father. And the first thing that we need to remember is, well, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you first that I want to ask you now, but then when we're finished, at the end, I want you to look at those questions again, and I'll ask you to go home this week and ponder these questions in your mind to see if your mind has changed before the message, is it changed after the message is through and after you've read it and after you've begun to practice these things? Here's those two questions. The first one is, is when you pray, to whom are you praying? That's a pretty simple question, and most of you are going to answer it right now. Well, God, of course. But let's get through the message this morning, then I want you to answer that question again in detail. The second question is, is when you pray, how powerful is that prayer? I think it's more powerful than you realize. And I want to point out some things as to why that prayer is powerful this morning. And I believe that your answer will be different at the end of hearing what God has to say than at the beginning. So keep those two questions in mind, and we'll approach them again at the end of the sermon this morning. And I want you to to contemplate those throughout the week. But the first thing I want to look at this morning is only two points. How about that in a Baptist church? He only has two points. Wow. 
Man, we, Ed, you better hurry up and cook that chicken. We're going to be out early today. Two points. Y'all know me. Y'all, y'all trust that I'm just going to drag those two points out. Y'all don't worry about it. The first one is this. This is a paternal prayer. Why do I call it a paternal prayer? Because we're praying to God the Father. He, he is our Father. And, and there's a few things that I want to point out. You say, well, why are you pointing out to us the obvious? He is our Father. Why are you pointing this out to us? Because I want to look at it a little deeper, and I want you to know what praying to our Father means. In, in, in verse 9, the first thing he says, he says, pray in this way, and this is what he says, our Father. The first thing out of Jesus' mind is our Father. We're putting God first. We're addressing God first before our own needs or anybody else's needs. We are addressing God the Father. But it even goes deeper than that. Because you see, we're praying with our siblings. Did you realize that? That word our, it's plural. That means that there's more than one that is to approach God. And that is our siblings. That's our brothers and sisters in Christ. That means that everybody around the globe is a part of this. Now, I want to I look at that even deeper. You say, okay, well, that means all my brothers and sisters, not just in the congregation here at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, but those that might be in the community, those that are across the state, across this great nation, across this continent, and around the world, that we are praying together that, that God is so powerful and he's so almighty that he can listen to all of us at one time. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I have a problem listening to two conversations at once. I just can't do it. And in fact, there's, there's been studies done that a man, if he listens to two conversations, he'll be able to tell you about one of them, but not both. And that's a true fact. If it, I'm, I'm, I'm a living study. Now, if I'm on the phone and somebody starts talking to me, man, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. But God is so almighty that he can listen to our prayers simultaneously. He understands our needs. In fact, he tells us in verse 8 that he knows our needs before we even ask him. But we still pray to him. And it's our fathers. We're, our father, we're praying with our siblings. Because we are children of God. We're not children of the devil. Now, there is a difference. And you might be thinking, there's a difference? Well, certainly there is. Actually, when you're, when you're born, you are a creation of God. You're what is referred to as a creation of God because God has created all life, and you are a creation. When you come into the full knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and surrender your life to him, and he comes and his Holy Spirit lives within you, you become saved, then you become a child of God. And you're no longer just a creator, a creation of God. Now let me explain this, because you might be saying, I've never heard that before. Can you prove it? Well, let's look at what the scripture says. And there's more scripture here I put on there than, than I, I put on the screen behind me. But the first one is this. In, in 1 John 3.10, it says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Now notice that there's a separation between the children of God and the children of the devil. So it's obvious. You, you can tell it. You can put a Christian in a room and a sinner in the room, and if you, are a, if you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you would be able to tell which is which. It's obvious. He goes on to say, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. That means you're not 
God's child. If you're not, then you're a child of the devil. I'll, I'll, I'll go further in just a moment. And he says, nor the one who does not, uh, it goes on to say, does not practice righteousness. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, so there is an obvious separation between God's children and the devil's children. In John 8, 19, it says this. I don't think I put, did I put this one up there? Um, not 8, 19, but listen to this. When, when, when Jesus was being tested by the Pharisees in, in John 8, 19, he said, he, they said to him, uh, where is your father? Jesus said to them, uh, you know neither me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father as well. In 8, 41, he says, you are doing the deeds of your father. He was telling the Pharisees, you're doing the deeds of your father. Man, that, that brings back a little conversation that we were having about Pharisees this morning, wasn't it, Quinn? And, and he says, you're, you're of the father, you're devil. And in chapter 8, verse 44, he says this. He says, you are of the father, your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. So Jesus was making a, dis a distinction that if you are not a child of his, you are a child of the devil. Now, I'm not focusing on the children of the devil here. Obviously, my main point is to point out that you that are born again are a child of God. And if we realize that going into our prayer, how much difference is that going to make about who we're praying to? It's just no longer God in passing. Well, of course I pray to God, but you have to realize that one, you're not alone that you have siblings all over the globe praying with you at the same time, maybe not for the same things, but you're all addressing God at, at respectfully and rightfully. I want you to understand that it's just not we just go to God, but we have to understand who we're praying to. And we're not children of the devil, we are children of God. When we go to prayer, we should act as though we're children of God and approach Him respectfully. You see, because we are children of God, John 12, the other side of that, John 1, 12 says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. In Acts 17, 29, it says, being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or, st or stone and imaged form by the art and thought of man. Now, the, now I just want to just pick that apart just for a second if I can. He says, we're being the children of God. We ought not to think that the divine nature is in statues. It's in things. Our salvation is not found in things or statues or man-made things that we make up. It's in God. That's who our trust is in. That's who we worship. We don't worship things. We worship God. So I wanted to pick that apart for just a moment. But he says to who? The children of God in his very first statement. So we have to pray with our siblings. We have to understand who God is. Who are we praying to? We're praying to God. And what does God provide? One, he provides himself available to everyone around the world who is a child of God. But he also provides some other things. One, there's personal security because he's our father. He's our daddy. He, he provides us with certain things. One of those things is, protect, uh, is protection. I'm just going to go through these very quickly. He provides protection. Isn't that what a father does? Uh, Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and we're safe. We're safe. So God, as a father, as a father does, provides protection for his children. Any of you that are in here that are a father know that you would protect your children at all costs. 
Even you that are moms in this building will protect your children at all costs. God is the same way to us. So we have to realize that when we're praying to God, not only are we praying simultaneously with our brothers and sisters, not only are we have to realize that we are God's child, but we have to understand that he provides these things for us. That is a change of mind when you kneel down to pray to someone. You'll become more thankful for his presence and his protection when you realize that before you sit down to pray. And it'll change your prayer. When you think about who you're praying to, he, if fathers provide protection. They, for, they provide protection so we don't have to fear things. I know a lot of times that I got lost in a store one time when I was a real little boy. And I went to the back door and I thought maybe daddy went in here and I pushed the door and the alarm went off to the whole store. I didn't realize there was an alarm attached to it. Wow, you talk about embarrassed. But when I finally found my father, I was so secure in his arms because all the embarrassment fled, all the fear fled, and I was safe in my daddy's arms. And that's how we need to approach God when we come to prayer, knowing that he can do this, this for us. Fathers, fathers also provide trust for us because we come to know and love and trust our fathers. Fathers also teach us. They share stories with us. And they keep us out of harm's way by sharing their experiences. Then there's also personal companionship. A father provides friendship. This is the same thing that God does for us because he provides companionship for us. Friendship. He provides a bonded partnership. And we're bonded together with God. And he gives us conversation through prayer. Simply not just us praying to him, but him also instructing us through prayer. That two-way conversation. A father provides these things. He also provides personal provisions. A father will provide the needs to live, which God certainly does. A father will provide the means to live, and he will give us a purpose in life. And God certainly gives you a purpose in life. If you're a child of God and you still haven't understood what your purpose is, then you're not praying and you're not asking. Maybe you're not praying because you realize who God is and all of these things. And I hope what we've talked about here went deeper than just the name of God. Just, just God. Who are you praying to? God. We have to realize who God is, and this is the person, the deity that we are praying to. So it goes deeper than just a three-letter title of God. God provides all of these things as our Father. So it is a, it is a paternal prayer. It is a deep prayer, us to realize and to be in the right frame of mind of who we're praying to. Here's the second point. That this, what he is telling us and what Jesus is instructing his disciples and therefore instructing us, is that we have to realize that we have a powerful prayer. And not, not in my own power and my own strength because I can do nothing without God. But we have to realize that the person, the one that we're praying to, provides that power. It's a powerful prayer. So we're praying to God the Father, as it says in verse, in verse 9, our Father who is in heaven. And the powerful prayer comes in the next line when it says, hallowed be your name. Now I want to focus on that as my second point. Hallowed be your name. When you pray, as I asked earlier, how powerful is that prayer? Because it's more powerful than you think. 
You see, first of all, when, when we think about hallowed be your name, you know, we say that all the time. We recite it. When I was a little boy before a baseball game, before a football game, and Fred, you've probably seen a lot of children do this, and anybody that spent any time with children in the recreation departments over the years, you'd always put your hand in the middle, and you would recite the Lord's Prayer. And I would always say, hallowed be your name. And I never really knew what that name, what that meant. I never really thought about it. I never did try to dive deep into it, but as I became an adult and I realized that, hey, this, there's something more to this word here. What, what is God trying to tell us? What is Jesus trying to tell us about the heavenly father being hallowed? Because a lot of times we'll recite scripture, it becomes nothing more than a cliche to us. We never really give it any thought other than just on the surface. So I want to dig into that hallowed be your name. You see, when we talk about hallowed, we are making a, an appeal to God's holiness. When you come to God in prayer and you say, hallowed be your name, what Jesus was telling them was that when you come to God, you need to make an appeal to his holiness. That, that's, that's big stuff. This is good stuff. We are making an appeal to his holiness. You see, first of all, we need to identify with his holiness. We need to realize what his holiness is. We need to identify with it. We need to know what it is. We need to be conscious of it. When we go to God in prayer, we have to realize that we're appealing to his holiness when we begin speaking to him. And to identify with his holiness, there's certain things that we have to do. Walter went over some of these last week, did a fantastic job of laying this all out for us because there's certain things that I'm going to tell you that he brought up last week and if you were here last week I want you to grab onto the coattails of those things recall what he said when I mentioned them you see in order to identify with his holiness we have to make his holiness a reality in our mind not that we're trying to make something up but we have to realize how true it is because God is holy and before we go to God in prayer, we need to realize who we're talking to. He's my Father, and He is holy. And we have to, to come to realization, a realization in our mind that this is true, that God is holy. We must spend time with God in order to make God's holiness real in our mind. We have to spend time with God. Not just in prayer, but getting to know Him. Now, what better way to know how to spend time with them? There's one of the things that, that Walter brought up is that we have to spend time in getting to know who he is. We have to have the knowledge of who God is. How do you get that knowledge? You do it by studying. You do it by reading his word. You do it by meditating on his word, meditating on scripture, maybe even meditating on something that God may have instructed you to do through prayer. And you need to roll that around in your mind and ask God what it is that, you, that, that he is showing you and to meditate on those things. So we get the knowledge through reading and studying through meditating. We also get to know him better by surrendering to him. Because a lot of us, even as Christians, and we have been saved, we still haven't relinquished and, and, and surrendered everything in our life to him. There's still some things that we're going to keep on the table for ourselves. And those are the th very things that God wants us to let go, go of and to let him have control over those things in our life because after all, he does know better than I do. And amen, he does. So we, we have to make his holiness real in our mind. We also do it through obedience. 
We do it through commitment to Christ. When we're committed to Christ, he makes, his, he makes the realization or the reality of his holiness very real to us, and he'll, he'll put it in our minds. And we do it by sharing him with others. We, we just can't appeal to his holiness without keeping it to ourselves. We have to share with others what Jesus has done for us and what he can do for you and what he can do for others. So we have to appeal to his holiness. When we go down and we pray to God in order for it to be a powerful prayer, we have to, in order for it to be hallowed, we have to realize that God is holy. And it'll change the way you approach prayer when you realize this, that it's a powerful prayer. Not because we're powerful, but because when we approach the throne of God and realize that He is holy, He'll be able to do all things for you. Now, not only do we need to make an appeal to His holiness, but we need to react to His holiness. We, need, we don't only need to identify with His holiness, but we need to react to that holiness. You see, the word hallowed means holy or venerated or revered and sacred. That's what it means. It means holy. And we are commanded, we are commanded in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, we are commanded to be holy because he is holy. So, so we're commanded to do that, which tells us that what we're not holy, but we're to strive towards that. And God commands us to be holy because he is holy. But, but here's the reality of it. God is holy. I might not be, you might not be. We're striving towards that. We're trying to perfect ourselves in that. But God is truly holy. He doesn't struggle with it. He doesn't have to practice at it. He doesn't have to pray to somebody else for it because he is holy. And we need to realize that he is holy. Psalm 22, uh, 3 says, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the, upon the praises of Israel. When Isaiah saw God sitting on his throne and he envisioned that, and he had the seraphim that were above him, he recalled what one seraphim said to the other in that vision. And this is what, it's, what that one seraphim said. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isn't that wonderful? So it's just scripture pointing to the holiness of of the Lord. Isaiah also in Isaiah 57:15 it says for thus the high and exalted one who lives forever forever whose name is holy I dwell on a high and holy place. So again the prophet Isaiah is proclaiming the holiness of God. And because God is holy then we should treat him as such. When we we realize that he is holy and we come into our prayer time, we will treat him and give him honor. We will give him glory. We will give him the reverence that he that he requires. We will come to him in, uh, through respect, and and we have to do all of these things before we even begin to approach him in prayer. When we go to God in prayer, then we should do it reverently, respectfully, and address him appropriately, and you will have a powerful prayer. But you have to realize His holiness. When you identify with His holiness and react to it, then you make an appeal to the character of God who is holy. But there's also another thing that you need to appeal to. We appeal to His holiness, and I'll close with this. We're going to appeal to His character. we got to appeal to God's character, who He is, who God truly is when you come to Him in prayer. 
We're attracted to who he is, just like you're attracted to your spouse. You're attracted to that spouse. You were attracted to your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Not while you have a spouse. Let's make sure we get that straight. Okay. For those of you that are wondering. But you're attracted to your, to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your, or your spouse. You're attracted to them for who they are. Aren't you? You find something deep inside them that defines who they are. And you're attracted to that. You can call it their personality, their disposition. You can call it their outlook on life. Whatever you want to call it, you're attracted to that person for the inside, not the outside. And it's the the same way with God. When When we become attracted to God, it's not because of what He does. It's because who He is. What He does is a direct effect of who He is. So we're first attracted to who God is. And when you go to God in prayer, you need to realize that you're attracted to God not for the outward things, but the inward things of who God is. We're attracted to who He is. He is love, first and foremost. I'll just go over a couple of them. He is love. 1 John 4.16 We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. God is also a just God. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are just. You will never find an injustice with God. Never. Because he is a just God. He is also a faithful God. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 32.4, the rest of that piece of scripture says, he is a God of faithfulness and without injustice. He's righteous and upright as he. Also, God is patient. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any of you to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, now this one goes a little bit deeper because what God is having patience with you on is your salvation. You see, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, God is very patient with you so you can understand that. But you must realize that you will not live forever. So God is only going to be patient with you up until the point of your own death. And that could be when you're 16 or when you're 96. It could be when you're 21 or when you're 121. It could be when you're 12 or 112. We don't know the day of our death. But God is patient with us until we come into a full knowledge of who He is in terms of salvation. So God is very patient with us. And these are some of the things. God is also a good God. He's a trustworthy God. He's a forgiving God. He's a compassionate God. He's a gracious God. God is all of these things. I mean, I could preach a whole month of Sundays just on that, on who God is alone. But when we come to him in prayer, we must remember these things. And we also have to remember not only who he is and his character, but we also have to know what he does. You see, as I said earlier, what he does is a direct effect on who he is. He does these things because who he is. He's not who he is because he does these things. God loves us and wants to do things for us. We, we have to realize that we remain close to him for what he does. See, we're attracted to him because of who he is. But we remain close to him for what he does and what he does for us. 
How do you say that? Because you were attracted to God. There was something that drew you to him. Matthew 6.44 says, None can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So God has been drawing you. You're attracted to who he is, and then you stay because Jesus Christ died for your sin. You stick around for what he does. And that's how we need to look at it when we come to prayer. You see, what he does is found in his titles, and I'm just going to give a few of those. The first one is this. Elohim means that he's simply God. El Shaddai means that he's the Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. Adonai, he is the Lord and the Master. He is Yahweh, Lord Jehovah. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner. He is the Lord, my shepherd, Jehovah Ra'ah. He is the Lord that heals, Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord that is there, I mean everywhere, Jehovah Shammah. He is the Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. He is the Lord who sanctifies you, the everlasting God, El Olam. He is a jealous God, Quana. He is the Lord who provides for you, Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord of peace, Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. And there's so many more titles as to who God is and what he does. And he is all of these things to us. And when we come to God in prayer, knowing these things, appealing to his holiness and appealing to his character, man, your prayer will just, man, it'll knock the lid right off of your blessing bucket. It'll knock the lid right off of it. Perhaps the greatest is this, and band, you can come forward. Perhaps this is the greatest name when we look at hallowed be your name. We looked at his holiness and we looked at his name, who God is. The greatest name that God has is the name of Jesus. And let me explain to you why. Jesus was the manifestation of God's name. Let me explain. Jesus did everything perfectly according to the characteristics and the titles of God. When, when Christ came to live, when Christ came to live, he lived out God's character. He lived out God's holiness perfectly. So he became the manifestation of who God is. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, let's look at what our cross connect says in your notes, if you have your notes. You see, Jesus is the only name by which we may approach God and have a fellowship with him. And, and I want you to realize this because through our prayers, unless we know who God is, they mean nothing. They're meaningless. But as children of God, we have to remember, who are we talking to? So in our, in our conclusion today, in our cross-connect, let's look at what it says in Acts 4.12. It says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You see, the name of Jesus is the greatest name that God takes. Because through him, you are saved and you will get to spend an eternity in his presence. An eternity in his presence. Now, in closing, I want to ask you this. Those two questions. Walter, if you could put those two questions back up there, I'd appreciate it. I want to look at those two questions again. And ask you the first one. When you pray, to whom are you praying? Do you see God deeper now than just the name of God and you just talking 
to who you know created you and saved you? Are you appealing to his character? Are you realizing that he's holy? Are you realizing that we're praying together simultaneously with many other Christians around this globe who know him as Lord and Savior? Do we realize this before we go to God in prayer? And the second question, when you pray, how powerful is that prayer? I think it's more powerful than you realize. And when we look at this again, and what I want you to ponder is these two questions. Do I, am I really focusing on who God truly is? Am I really focusing on how holy He is and all of the great things that He's done for me that keep me around? So this week, I want you to ponder those questions. I want you to take your notes, and I want you to really focus in your prayer time to realize who you're speaking with before you open your mouth. And as we sing the last song today, you might be stuck on the cross connect because there is no other name by which we must be saved in the name of Jesus. And if you don't know Christ today, if you don't say, I can spend an eternity with God in heaven forever, if I leave here today and I die, will I go to heaven? Have I called on the name of Jesus to save me? Do I have a relationship through, with God through Jesus Christ the Son? If that answer is no, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm going to ask, Rachel, would you come and stand with me? Because I, I, I feel that sometimes females might not want to come talk to me. And if that's the case, then I, I, I pray that you go in and talk to her. And, and I've asked her to do this. I told her we were going to start doing this. But if you have a question about who Jesus is, if you want to know who Christ is, would you please come and talk to us?